Welcome to Bad Ideas About Writing, the podcast that counters major myths about writing instruction. It's the audio version of the open access book, Bad Ideas About Writing, which is edited by Cheryl Ball and Drew Lowy. I'm Kyle Stedman. I teach writing at Rockford University, and I'm here to read those chapters out loud, giving you another way to access all the ideas in that book. Here today, we're at episode 37, and here's today's bad idea about writing. The five-paragraph essay is rhetorically sound, and it's by Quentin Verrigui. And hey, I should mention that this is the first of three episodes in a row that talk about the five-paragraph essay. So if you want even more bad ideas about that topic, tune in the next couple of weeks. The five-paragraph essay doesn't have many vocal defenders in departments of English in higher education. But for some instructors, the five-paragraph essay remains a useful tool in the pedagogical kit. Most college writing instructors have eschewed the five-paragraph essay, contending that it limits what writing can be, constricts writers' roles, and even arbitrarily shapes writers' thoughts. Yet, defenders of the five-paragraph essay counter that beginning writers need the guidance and structure that it affords. It works, they say, and it gives writers a place from which to start. The five-paragraph essay may sound familiar. In its most basic form, it is an introduction, three points, and a conclusion. Students are often given a topic to discuss, a passage to respond to, or a question to answer. The introduction and body paragraphs typically follow prescribed conventions regardless of content. For instance, the introduction has an attention-getter and explains what others have said about the topic, and the thesis usually comes close to the end of the paragraph. Each of the body paragraphs has a topic sentence that makes a claim that can be backed up with evidence and that refers back to the thesis. Each topic sentence is followed by sentences that provide evidence and reinforce the thesis. The body paragraphs end with a wrap-up sentence. The conclusion reminds the reader of the main idea, summarizes the main points, and might even leave the reader with one lasting impression. If all that sounds familiar, then it might be because you were taught the five-paragraph essay. Defenders of the five-paragraph essay can sometimes be found in high schools or two-year colleges where they might work with students who struggle with writing or are learning English as a second language. One such teacher, David Guggen, writes about how the five-paragraph model benefits students learning English as a second language. Like many proponents of the five-paragraph essay, he assumes that the main impediment to expressing an idea is knowing how to organize it. As he puts it, once they have the vessel, so to speak, they can start thinking more about what to fill it with. This type of metaphor abounds. Byung-in So compares writing to building a house. One builds a basic structure, and the individual spark comes from personalizing the details, either decorating the house or the content of the essay. She refers particularly to her experience with at-risk students, usually meaning students who come into college without the writing skills needed to immediately dive into college-level work. Similarly, Susanna L. Benko describes the five-paragraph essay as scaffolding that can either enhance or hinder student learning. A scaffold can be useful as construction workers move about when working on a building, but it should be removed when the building can stand on its own. The problem, as Benko observes, is when neither teacher nor student tears down the scaffold. Here is the thing, though. 
when writers and critics talk about the five-paragraph essay, they're not really talking about five paragraphs any more than critics or proponents of fast food restaurants are talking about McDonald's. Most offenders of the five-paragraph essay will either explicitly or implicitly see the sentence, the paragraph, and the essay as reflections of each other. Just as an essay has a thesis, a paragraph has a topic sentence. Just as a paper has evidence to support it, a paragraph has detail. An essay has a beginning, middle, and end. So does a paragraph. To quote a line from William Blake, to be a defender of the five-paragraph essay is to see a world in a grain of sand. There are circles within circles within circles from this perspective. If you take this approach to writing, form is paramount. Once you understand the form, you can say anything within it. This focus on form first and on the use of the five-paragraph essay is a hallmark of what composition scholars call the current traditional approach to writing instruction. The current traditional approach is traceable to the late 19th century, but still persists today in the five-paragraph essay and in writing assignments and textbooks organized around a priori modes of writing, the modes being definition, argument, exposition, and narrative. Current traditional rhetoric valorizes form, structure, and arrangement over discovering and developing ideas. In current traditional pedagogy, knowledge does not need to be interpreted or analyzed, but merely apprehended. Writing processes are mostly about narrowing and defining ideas and about applying style as external dressing to a finished idea. Detractors of the five-paragraph essay claim that it all but guarantees that writing will be a chore. What fun is it to write? When you have no choices, when the shape of your words and thoughts are controlled by an impersonal model that everyone uses, but only in school. Teaching the five-paragraph essay is like turning students into Charlie Chaplin's character from modern times, stuck in the gears of writing. The five-paragraph essay allegedly dehumanizes people. A number of writing specialists from University of North Carolina, Charlotte, wrote an article called The Five-Paragraph Essay and the Deficit Model of Education. One of their critiques is that this model means that students aren't taught to think and feel fully. Rather, they're taught to learn their place as future workers in an assembly line economy, topic sentence, support, transition, repeat. Finally, as several writing instructors have observed, the five-paragraph essay doesn't comport with reality. Who actually writes this way? Who actually reads it this way? Does anyone care if an essay in The Atlantic or David Sedaris's nonfiction collection Me Talk Pretty One Day doesn't follow some prescriptive model? If the model doesn't connect to how people actually write when given a choice, then how useful can it be? Well, as it happens, formulaic writing has some support. Two such people who support it are Gerald Graff and Kathy Birkenstein, co-authors of a celebrated writing textbook, They Say, I Say. Graff and Birkenstein's book rests on the assumption that all writers, especially skilled writers, use templates, which they've learned over time. For instance, there are templates for thesis statements, templates for counterarguments, templates for rebuttals, templates for introducing quotes, and templates for explaining what quotations mean. One example from their book is this. While they rarely admit as much, blank often take for granted that blank. 
which is a template students might use to begin writing their paper. Students are supposed to plug their own thoughts into the blanks to help them express their thoughts. Graf and Birkenstein tackled the issue of whether templates inhibit creativity. They make several of the same arguments that proponents of the five-paragraph essay make. Skilled writers use templates all the time, they actually enhance creativity, and they're meant to guide and inspire rather than limit. This doesn't mean Graf and Birkenstein love the five-paragraph essay, though. In an article in the Chronicle of Higher Education, they contend that templates are an accurate reflection of how people write because templates are dialogic, but the five-paragraph essay is not. Formulas, including templates, can be effective. And arbitrary formulas can be useful under the right circumstances, too. They can be useful if they are used as a point of inquiry, meaning if writers use them as a starting place rather than a destination when writing. In what ways does the five-paragraph model work for this particular assignment? How should I deviate from it? Should I have an implied thesis rather than an explicit one? Now, you might be thinking, that's well and good for beginning students, but what about advanced students or professionals? They never use formulas. Well, when my proposal for this piece was accepted, the two editors sent me explicit instructions about how to organize the essay. They divided their instructions into first paragraph, middle paragraphs, and later paragraphs, and then instructions about what comes after the essay. Within each part, they gave specific directions. Everything was spelled out. I had a problem. I planned to argue in favor of the five-paragraph essay, so I couldn't use their formula, which presupposed I would argue against the bad idea. Hmm. That conundrum required me to ask myself questions, to inquire. How should I innovate from the model? How should I not their prescriptive advice was a point of inquiry for me that forced me to think rhetorically and creatively. Maybe the five-paragraph model can be a point of inquiry, a way to start asking questions about rhetoric and writing. When I wrote this piece, I asked myself, why do the editors want me to write using a specific format? And I then asked, in what ways does this format prevent or enable me from making my point? Finally, I asked, in what ways can I exploit the tension between what they want me to do and what I feel I must do? Asking these questions forced me to think about audience and purpose. But perhaps more crucially, I was forced to think of the editor's purpose, not just my own. By understanding their purpose, the format was more than an arbitrary requirement, but an artifact indicating a dynamic rhetorical context that I, too, played a role in. Once I understood the purpose behind the format for this essay, I could restructure it in purposeful and creative ways. The five-paragraph essay follows the same logic. Teachers often, mistakenly, think of it as an arbitrary format, but it's only arbitrary if students and teachers don't converse and reflect on its purpose. Once students consider their teacher's purpose in assigning it, then the format becomes contextualized in consideration of audience, purpose, and context, and students are able to negotiate the expectations of the model with their own authorial wishes. Further reading. 
For more information about the connection between the five-paragraph essay and current traditional rhetoric, you might read Michelle Tremell's What to Make of the Five-Paragraph Theme, History of the Genre and Implications. For a critique of the five-paragraph essay, you might read Lil Brannon et al.'s The Five-Paragraph Essay and the Deficit Model of Education. If you're interested in reading defenses for the five-paragraph essay, you might start with Byung-In So's Defending the Five-Paragraph Essay. A longer, more formal argument in favor of the five-paragraph essay can be found in David Guggen's A Paragraph-First Approach to the Teaching of Academic Writing. In the essay, In Teaching Composition, Formulaic is Not a Four-Letter Word, Kathy Birkenstein and Gerald Graff criticize the five-paragraph essay, but defend writing formulas done in more rhetorically effective ways. Defenses of the five-paragraph theme often frame the genre as a scaffolding device. Susanna Benko's essay, Scaffolding, an Ongoing Process to Support Adolescent Writing Development, explains the importance of scaffolding and how that technique can be misapplied. Though her essay only partially addresses the five-paragraph essay, her argument can be applied to the genre's potential advantages and disadvantages. Keywords. Basic writing. Current traditional rhetoric. Discursive writing. Five-paragraph essay or theme. Prescriptivism. You just heard the bad idea, the five-paragraph essay is rhetorically sound, and it's by Quentin Verrigi, who in 2020 sent me this updated bio. Quentin Verrigi is an associate professor of English at UW-Eau Claire, Barron County. He teaches writing, literature, and film classes. He has co-authored two books, Agency in the Age of Peer Production and the United States Constitution in Film, Part of Our National Culture. He's also published more generally in the fields of rhetoric and composition and popular culture studies. The podcast version of Bad Ideas About Writing is produced and narrated by me, and it's hosted at Anchor.fm. The theme music is Parade by Nocturnum, and the open access book Bad Ideas About Writing was first published in 2017 by the West Virginia University Libraries and Digital Publishing Institute. It's available online at their website for free. That's where you should go if you'd like to read a print version of this chapter. Hey, both the podcast and the book are published under really open Creative Commons licenses that allow podcasts like this to exist. If you want to make your own remix, if you want to like add a cool beat or, you know, remix into some other form, remediation, remodulation, whatever, you are allowed to do that without asking permission, without paying a license. Why? Because they're both licensed under Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 licenses. That means as long as you give attribution, do whatever you want. I'm Kyle Stedman. I'm on Twitter at KStedman, and I live in Rockford, Illinois, which actually isn't that far away from UWO Claire Barron County, where Quentin Verrigi works. Hey, isn't it kind of cool that two people from University of South Florida ended up in the Midwest, stuck around for a long time? Hey, I like it here, too. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>